Hi, this is Patricia. And this is Christina. And this is What They're Worth. A podcast exposing the truths of everyday people who are willing to enter the beautiful mess of foster care and adoption. We're glad you're here. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode eight of What They're Worth. Today, we have a very special guest with us, Darina guest who is going to share with us about disruptions that happen in foster care and adoption. And Darina is not just an awesome lady. She actually was a youth group leader of mine and continues to be a mentor for me and is one of the people who really um, turned my heart towards adoption and foster care. And she has been through it. She has been through a lot of things and she is an awesome mama. So Drina, why don't you introduce yourself, tell everybody a little bit about yourself and how you got into this crazy thing. Thank you. Well, I thank you for that intro. That was very humbling. Um, (laughs) So I, so I'm Dorina and I have been a foster parent for Ooh, my kid is six. So about six years with like a little break in the middle because we moved, we moved states. So um, we have had nine placements. We adopted our first one. Micah Grace is, um, we got her when she was nine days and we are currently on number eight. Um, Olivia is two. Um, and then we had one after her, but, um, we still have Olivia and we are in the process of moving towards adoption for her. I, I always wanted to adopt and that was something that, you know, we, we wanted to do. And my husband was on board with that too. And, um, and so when we, when we got married, you have like this mentality of like, oh, you're going to get married and you're going to have kids and everything's going to be great. (laughs) And then that doesn't happen. And so I actually have never been pregnant. I've been married today. It's actually my 14 year anniversary. It's one of those things that you, I mean, I think everybody has a plan and it just didn't work out like that. And, you know, to this day, I've I've never experienced pregnancy and it was something that was, you know, very shocking. And I definitely went through the infertility and, you know, those phases of heartbreak. And, you know, if I heard one more person was pregnant, I was probably going to kill over and die. Um, But I feel like God just had a a magnificent plan in that. And, um, you know, it was time for us to kind of like go down that road you know, just kind of coming to the realization that pregnancy would not be in our, in our future, unless there's some serious miracle going on, <laughs> which still could happen. Um, yeah. And so that's, we went to an adoption meeting because I originally just wanted to adopt and I had no idea what foster care was. I, I mean, in Romania, we don't have foster care. We have orphanages. Um, and, you know, foster care here in America is just a politically correct way of saying orphanages in my opinion. (laughs) Um, and that's one of those things that I was like, wow, I don't, there's like kids here and they like, they have home, they don't have homes. Wait, what? (laughs) So it was just very daunting for me. And, you know, coming to the realization for us, we just didn't feel there was a conviction on our end that we could not pay for a child. And so that was something that God walked us through. And, and, um, and we just thought that, I mean, if there's kids waiting that need a home, like, what are we doing? So that started the process of foster care. So, and then we took the classes and I was like, oh my gosh, this is craziness. So um, I think disruption is, 
is is difficult, <laughs> very difficult. Um, and disruption can happen on your end. It can happen on a, the child's end, and it also can happen, you know, on the department's end um, on their part of like if they want to disrupt. So in our case, we've had um, disruptions with you know, traditional disruptions just based on time of reunification or they're going to a family member. So those are pretty common. Um, Those, excuse me, those are not, um, it's not like they tell you that, that you, you know, they will be reunified. So those are kind of more common, but then there's also the, the disruptions of, um, we had a, a five and a half year old little boy that we took in and, you know, we had the whole, plan to adopt. We had him for a year and a half. And, um, and there's a disruption of you just have to make the decision on your family's part, if this is the best fit. And with this child, um, as much as we wanted to say that we wanted and we desired to adopt him, which we did, there was so much violence involved that he came back that he came from that, um, and we were really new foster parents also, so that doesn't help. Um, and we had, um, Micah Grace at that point was nine months old. And so that was transmitting towards the baby. And so, um, one of the hardest, I think one of the hardest decisions and hardest parts about being a foster parent or a parent in general with foster kids is making the decision for your family. So, in that case, it was one of the hardest things that we had to do because if we didn't have Micah Grace, we would have been in it for the long haul. Like we would have said, boom, it's fine. We're going to do it, you know, but you have to take care of what's already yours and you have to take care of the kids that are innocent, meaning they can't fend for themselves, right? So like a nine month old baby can't protect themselves. So when the five and a half year old is having a like full on (laughs) aggressive attack, you know, and so in our, in that case specifically, we could not guarantee that he would not be violent against me or Micah Grace. And he came from violence towards mom. So that was very prevalent. And then um, we've, so that, that one I think is probably the hardest. I think it's the hardest because I think if you're a foster parent, you want to save kids already, (laughs) you know, and you just, you have this mentality that you can save everybody and you want to save all the kids. And, and especially when you're new, this, I think this is a huge pitfall that people fall into, which I'm trying to alleviate in our, in our state by hooking people up with, you know, seasoned foster parents to know that you cannot save everybody. So you have to be very, very, very cautious in the beginning of what you say yes to, because basically what we're doing as foster parents, and I will take full responsibility for this until I die, <laughs> like we're taking the responsibility of taking chances with these kids' lives. Does that make sense? So it, my in, inexperience took one and a half years of that child's life, and and so granted I say that with knowing that God is completely in control and can use even our downfalls and the mistakes that we make. But if I was more educated and knew, Hey, I get that you want to save this kid. And I get that you think that God is good and God can, can heal everything. But let me tell you the reality of trauma, (laughs) you know, like if somebody would have spoken into my life and told me that 
I probably would have said no to that placement because there is just so much that comes with having already your own kids or a baby, younger kids, and bringing a trauma-exposed child that's been exposed to trauma for four years straight, which, by the way, is trauma, violence trauma, right? So that's why I think it's the hardest because, you know, having to say to a child, like we had to have a conversation with him telling him why we couldn't adopt him anymore. Like it was just heartbreaking, you know, and how do you explain to a six-year-old that you can't stay here anymore because you're too violent? Like you don't. Right. And so, um, it was, it was very, I mean, to this day, he is somebody, I mean, I have, I have pictures of all my foster kids in every one of them that I've had in my house. And I continuously pray for them pretty much every time I see a picture of them. But him in particular, I just, it's one of those things that I look back and I wish that somebody would have spoke some truth in my life. Somebody would have given me some wisdom, you know, um, and that, that he wouldn't have been like the guinea pig for my, for my lack of mm-hmm. knowing. Does that make sense? Does that make sense what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I think, you know, what you're touching on is really important because, you know, we've been talking a lot about why people don't do foster care and that people have all these fears and kind of, you know, I could nevers about it. And a lot of those are valid, but also misguided. Right. But I think what you're saying is realizing the weight of the responsibility isn't something we should do lightly or flippantly. And it's something we've been talking about a lot too, is like your motive. And if your motive Mm -hmm. is, or your intent is to save, um, it's probably not going to go super well. Yeah. And that we have to consider everyone that's involved in the equation because right. all of them matter, including our own health and wellness. You know, I've, I mean, I've heard other people who have had disruptions where it hasn't been on the sake of another child. It, you know, it could have been their own sanity mm-hmm. um, and just not being able and to manage. And it's not always something you can even know at the well, beginning. Well, and the thing is too, like one of the things that I was telling my friends today is, you know, if I was the mom that I am today with Tristan, this little boy that I had, it would be a game changer. Like, because there's some things that I've learned along the way that I'm like, oh my gosh, that would have been, and that would have been so much more, (laughs) Like it would just made made me a different parent, you know, because I would have understood, you know, that trauma that you've experienced is a certain type of trauma. And this is why you're doing what you're doing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I wouldn't have had this, this mentality of like, oh, that no kid would ever do that. And I'm like, well, because again, I, foster care training is not really, um, it's training, but it's not like in depth, you know, like it's not going to, so I would, I would say, I would totally echo what you said, what you're going, why are you becoming a foster parent? I tell people this every single time when they talk to me about foster care and they're like, Oh, I really want to be a foster parent. Da, da, da. You know, and they're so in this la la land, you know, and you know, and I, Oh, and we really want to adopt. And I say, you know, I stop them right there. I'm like, if you are going into foster care to adopt, do not go into foster care. 
That is not what foster care is for. Um, And I always, always, every single time I remind people, you need to understand what it's about, meaning who is it about? It's not about you. That is the number one thing. Like if I could probably wrap it all up in a bow with foster care, it's about the child. It's not about you. Um, You know, and so in that mindset, you, if you could do everything you could to know about the child, to know where they're coming from, um, the disruption that I had with the teenager that we had recently, he was a disruption on his end. So he chose to go back to his family. Um, and the, the cases were so different, meaning because with Tristan, I wanted to save him. And I was like, oh, let's take another one. Oh, we could do this. I'm such a great parent because I had no exposure to like trauma because Micah Grace was like the easiest baby ever. Um, And I was like, I could totally do this. We could so, God is so good. And God is, he can conquer anything. Yay. Like literally that's what I said. And with, with seven, we took, seven was the teenager that we had. We literally took probably like six months. I was praying for like six months straight for that decision. And my husband didn't even know about it, that I was praying about it until like month four, you know, so the, it was bathed in prayer, like literally every single thing. I was like, God, because I said I would never take older kids again. I was like, there has got to be a something from heaven that comes down for me to take an older child after that experience that I had with Tristan. And And so because it was bathed in prayer, because it was like, I had absolutely no doubt whatsoever that God was calling us to do that. And my husband didn't, nothing phased us, phased us, right? Like, like within, he was with us for five months. I think I experienced more. (laughs) I think I experienced 15 years of, of like parenting in five months with a teenager. Like if you could talk about anything else that could go wrong, like marijuana in the room, like pornography at school, like, I mean like every single thing possible. And I would just sit there every night with my husband and be like, yep, that just happened. Uh Uh-huh. And it was just like, we had so much peace because, because we knew that God was in it and God was like, okay, we're going to tackle this. And there was nothing that was like, oh, I wonder if we're supposed to be doing this. Is this really what we're supposed to be doing? Oh my gosh, we we have to save him. No, we just literally bathed it in prayer again. We're like, okay, God, like this is what happened. What now? Um, and with him, the hard part with that was that, you know, when you're making progress and when you're doing all these things and and you're seeing the fruit, but then, you know, him making a decision to go back, like it was heartbreaking. It was, we're like, what? It was something that was totally out of left field for us. But even in that, knowing that, okay, God, like you've called us, you called us for this season and that's what you've called us to. And that's what we're going to take. And we're going to be okay as hard as it is. And as, as you know, it was very hard because my, my daughter, Micah Grace, just like adored him. And she still to this day is like seven, my brother, you know, and um, that was really hard for her. But at the same time, we can say, okay, like God's still in it and we can trust him and getting the phone call later on. So this is another decision that's very difficult with disruptions when they come back into care. So he ended up coming back into care and they called us. And this is yet another reason why 
it's so difficult when you already have children when something happens because with this disruption specifically there was some things that happened that we couldn't guarantee that we're going to have we're not going to happen again um and to protect the girls because you know olivia is two michael grace is six we couldn't we couldn't say 100 percent that they wouldn't walk into a something that could traumatize them so we had to say no for him to come back to us and that was very difficult because again you know, like you, you want to be able to say that, yeah, like we could do it and everything, but you have to, you have to keep in mind the kids that you already have. I think the difference in those two situations that you had, the place that you came to them at Mm -hmm. is really important. And, you know, I've only had one experience, Mm -hmm. but I know that the Lord did not allow me to have my timing when it came to my boys, probably because my motivation was mm-hmm. not right or not. I wouldn't say not right, not ideal, or it could have been better. And so the fact that, you know, I think we've talked about this in past episodes, just like being hands open when it comes to, these situations and these kids and we have to realize the weight of the responsibility, but also we have to realize that there are so many factors outside of our control that happen. And like you said, that could be the biological family. That could be the system. That could be the kid themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, That could be things going on with other kids we have in the home. And that's why you know, people say, I don't, I can't do foster care because I don't want to be too attached. It's not that we don't attach, but it's that, again, mm-hmm. like we call it radical acceptance in the therapy world, that you basically just realize what you have control over and what you don't. And you make peace with the big mountain of, I don't have control over that. <laughs> and then embrace and love what you do have control over. Right. Well, and the thing too is like, the goal is attachment. (laughs) That's what these kids need. And so, you know, again, if you continue to take yourself out of the picture, right? Like, because that comment, I could never do this because I would get too attached. That's a very selfish comment, right? And I get where it comes from because I used to be the same way, right? But if you take yourself out of the equation, right, you completely eliminate your needs and your wants. And you think of this child, right? This child is longing for attachment. They don't know how to attach. They don't know how to even experience trusting somebody because everybody has left them. Everybody has disappointed them. So, you know, taking yourself out of it, when you do attach, that's a win. That's a huge win because like even with Seven, there was some moments that we had that he's never experienced. He had no idea what forgiveness and reconciliation was. Mm -hmm. Like he's 14 years old. No one's ever taught him how to reconcile and, and experience forgiveness. I mean, like that is a win. If that's not a win, I don't know what is, you know? And so if, if you take yourself out and again, God already knows the family that you're supposed to have. And that's what I tell myself all the time. Like he is already anointed and picked and he knows everything. Right. Mm -hmm. So it is not a surprise that seven said, I'm not going to stay here. Like, it's not like God was up there like, Oh wow. I didn't see that coming. (laughs) 
no, he already saw that coming and he already knows what your family is supposed to look like. And so if the season that you get with that foster child is, we say it in our house, if we get one day, one week, one month, one year, one forever, we don't care. Like, because that time that you have, you could let God transform a child, you know, and that's, again, it's not about you. It's about God using you, you and your story, you and your family to just open these kids' lives and their, their hearts and their, their, I mean, it just changes them, right? Without you even knowing it. And even with Olivia, like we're going down the road of adoption and we're sitting in court and the, the cap attorney asks us, she's like, what are you guys going to do for adoption? And I was like, uh, I'm sorry, we don't talk about adoption. <laughs> Until you give me an adoption date <laughs> and a judge, we're not going to go there because I'm not living for the adoption day. I'm living for today. Mm. And that's how it was with even Tiara, the baby. We had a disruption with a baby and, and we had her for 14 months. Mm. We had her since she was two weeks old. She is the joy of my heart. I can never talk about her without kind of crying. She is, she is like, I love that baby. And just the other day, my husband was like, if they called us today, I would take her in a heartbeat. You know, that, that was one of the hardest things ever. But if I don't trust God enough that, he, that what we did for 14 months was what he called us to and enough for her, um, what? Like, I can't say that God created the whole world in seven, six days. And, and then he's not got this little baby. Mm-hmm. He's totally got her. And I have to trust that the time that he gave us, we spent wisely and we didn't think about tomorrow. We thought about today. And that's what we do with Olivia. Like until we, and, and even with Micah Grace, we have adopted her, but I am not guaranteed her tomorrow. Nobody's guaranteed anybody. And so I tell bio parents too. I'm like, listen, tomorrow is not guaranteed with your child, whether you're adopted them or gave birth to them. So today is what I'm living for. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's my goal, you know, and that's when you, and again, that's just a different mindset. It's a different mindset of, it's not about me. It's about what God has called me to do as a parent and as a human being in general, Mm -hmm. as a believer in Christ, you know? Yeah. And we talk about this a lot too, how like so much of the stuff that is really brought forward and foster care and adoption are things that everybody really needs to be doing Mm -hmm. and living out. Mm -hmm. I mean, that principle of only living, not only living for today, but being in the present Mm -hmm. and not betting our life on tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Right. Cause like you said, we don't, we don't know if we're going to have tomorrow. Right. Um, And being obedient in the now. Right. That child is not your savior though. You know, so like we put a lot of weight on those kids of, you know, like they need to be X, Y, and Z, but like at the end of the day, my only savior is Christ. And so I have to live life that he's my, and I was just talking about this, even with my husband, like my husband cannot fulfill the needs that I have. He's called to some things for sure, but biblically, but he, even if he never fulfills those things biblically, I'm still called to look to God and to look to Jesus, to the lover of my soul, right? Like mm-hmm. he's the only one to provide what I need. And so keeping that in perspective, even with our kids, but especially with foster care in general, the fear, and I think it's, it's more of an individual fear because, you know, you, you know, the attachment thing and loving these kids and then having to give them up. Yeah, it's, it sucks. It really does. But 
again, the mindset is if I can't trust God with the world and creating the world, you know, in, you know, and, and sustaining this universe and everything. Um, and then this child, you know, I've got some, I've got some things in my own life that I need to, to shift around, you know, how do you let yourself mourn? Like, what do you do? Is there something specific you do or is it just different with each situation? Oh, that's hard. Uh, I think I, Good I think I still mourn, uh, on a daily basis for these kids. I mean, um, Ooh, you're going to make me cry. Um, <laughs> there's just, no, we are pro crying. I know, right. Yes. There's just an element that you're never really going to, to not, you're never really going to have closure there. Right. Like, um, and the hard part too, is like when they get returned to family members that don't want you in their lives or, you know, or they, you know, most of the time you don't really know what's happening. Right. Um, and so there's like this open-ended thing (laughs) with, it's interesting with Tiara, we, um, the latter part of the time that she was here, we took an Olivia to help out. <laughs> Olivia was a short-term placement. Um, <laughs> that's my two, two-year-old now. <laughs> um, that's always comical. We'd like for mm-hmm. you to take this baby for short-term, two years later. And um, so I always say with, with Tiara, um, Olivia is the joy I never knew I needed. And so, because when Olivia came, she, um, I, it, I was very intentional. I was like, I am not going to get attached to you. You are going somewhere else. Like, I was just like, I will feed you. I will hold you. I will take care of you, <laughs> but I will not enjoy this. <laughs> so I was just super like, I mean, I, I, I kid you not. I was super like that. And, um, you know, because I was so devastated by Tiara and, um, and it's, that's why I just love God. He, God is so good. He's just so good on what we need and how we need it. And, and, you know, as Olivia started, you know, like month two, three, and now she's like laughing and like, you know, and she, she did things that I was like, Oh my gosh, you know? (laughs) And, you know, and so like, I just feel like the morning part is really important because you should do that you should, whatever that looks like for you, for us, it's usually taking a break in this case, obviously we didn't, but, um, I I say that loosely because we have a hard time taking breaks because there's such a big need. Um, and that's basically why we took in Olivia because she was at the hospital for two weeks without a foster home because they don't, they didn't have a foster home that would take a baby under five pounds. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so I have a hard time having empty rooms. Um, but like with seven, um, you know, we, it, the morning process was more just continuing to have conversations with my husband about like, how do you feel the Lord is leading us? Do you feel like the decision that we made was good? Not taking him back, you know, and, um, and just really feeling at peace about that. Um, and with Tristan, we took a long, we took a quite a bit of break, um, and that's just not having kids in your home. Um, I would probably say, I would probably recommend like a, if, if you have a, a traumatizing displacement or a disruption, sorry, um, I would say probably six months or more um, for your own sanity and your own, uh, mm-hmm. and just, and also to, to get back to, you don't want to go back into foster care jaded. 
like, you know, like you don't want to go back and like, oh, you know, um, because some of those things you're not going to have, you're not going to have a say in it, right? Like you don't, sometimes you don't, you don't get to choose, like there's a disruption because um, there's a family member that popped up. You know, I have a lot of families that I know that, you know, they had a kid for two, three years. And unfortunately, you know, things come up where they have to be reunified because somebody pops up out of the system. Now, do I agree with that? Do I agree that it's the best interest of the child? No. But at the same time, let's go back to what is foster care for, you know? And so, um, but when you have mm-hmm. that incident, it's like, you don't want to go back into foster care angry and bitter because you're just going to relay that all to people around you. So you need that healing process and you need to go back to, okay, why were we called to foster care? What is God teaching us? What is God using us for? Um, you know, and go back to the basics of why you even started doing foster care. Um, because it's hard to, it's, it's very easy to lose that when you have mm-hmm. those incidences happen, you know, does that make sense? Like it's, it's, it can be very like, oh, well now I'm just yeah. hate the world, you know? Mm-hmm. And you're like, wait, what? You know, um, let's go back to why we're doing this. Right. I know something, you know, as I've been in your life through these things um, and just, you know, we've had conversations here and there. And I know you've talked about people that you have in your corner, like your support network. And you're also pretty open about what your family is going through. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of we talk about this, too, how a lot of people who are in foster care and adoption really struggle because their self-worth is tied to Mm -hmm. it really struggle with like not being honest about what's going on or like you know Mm -hmm. they feel like a sense of shame Mm -hmm. when things aren't going well or when you know something tough happens so can you maybe just kind of touch on how you live like vulnerably like in your community and like how that helps you to be able to keep going yeah, I, I would say that I would not do, <laughs> I don't know, I, I, I would say I don't know how people do it, do foster care without community. <laughs> if you do foster care without mm-hmm. a, a community, I don't know how you do it. That's just me. Yeah, we were actually just talking about this because um, I would, we were just talking about how like, there is an element of when you have people in your life that are dealing with the same things. Um, and it's... <laughs> I have a very hard time talking, like, I don't want to be like, oh, because you're just a parent, a bio parent, you're different than a foster parent. But to, to put it in perspective, one of the things that people need to understand, so if you're listening to this and you're not a foster parent, but you know foster parents, this might give you a little glimpse. Um, there are just things as a foster parent that when you think, okay, I have to get this child X, Y, and Z do this, this, and that. Great. Now add visitations, doctor's appointments, multiple um, OT, PT, speech, um, you know, and oh, by the way, we have another set that we, um, another foster child. So then they have other appointments. Um, So like, it's not that we're like better or like we're, it's just, we just have, our calendars are so crazy like 
if especially I have a I have a friend that has four placements and I think they're all different bios. I think only two of them are the same. <laughs> you know, so like if you can imagine having and oh by the way, if you have a baby, you have to have two visits a week because they're babies and they want to spend more time with the bio parent. You know, and oh, in our visitation center, like if you live where I live, it's 40 minutes away. <laughs> you know, and so it's like so when you we say community, like it is so imperative to be in community because like, I just don't, I don't know how I would function because since when we got Micah Grace placed with us, we had meals for three months straight, like three months. I was like, I could not believe it. Um, and then people would just drop off diapers at our house. Like, it was insane. And that was, and I didn't have any family in Seattle at all, like none. And so that's, that was literally our church family. But I think the biggest thing that I would say to foster parents is you have to make yourself that way. That is so important because if you don't put yourself out there, if you don't get into a small group, if you don't get involved, if you don't say the need, <laughs> nobody can meet it. But there are people, there are people that are, that can't be foster parents, but boy, would they bring you a meal once a month, right? If they just knew what your life looked like, you know, and they don't know. And that's the thing. It's like, you think people know about foster care, but they don't just because they watch this is us <laughs> does not mean, <laughs> that's not mean, this does not mean that they know anything because they don't, they just don't know that you're drowning they don't you know and and for me personally I've just wanted to I, I live life fake for so long that I just I'm just not willing to do that anymore and I've just lived in sin that way before in my prior life that it was so dying you know and that was one of the things that when I came back to the Lord and when I was like I'm all for I'm all in um that was one of the things that I packed I made a pact with the Lord that I would just be completely transparent um, in all areas of my life. And that's why I try to not be the mom that's like, you know, like when people are like, oh my gosh, you got it all. I'm like, no, I don't. You know, like I post things like my daughter pulled her pants down in school, you know, like let's keep it real, <laughs> you know? And so, and so I think that, you know, especially we struggle this with this as moms, you know, because we want to put like the best foot forward, both bio moms and foster moms or whatever, but it's okay. You don't have to have it all together because that's God's job. You know, that's the part like that I have a hard time with society today is like, we keep telling moms and, and people that they can do it all. And I'm like, no, 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 I don't want to do it all. I'm good. I'm good. That's, that's Jesus's job. Um, and so, and so for me to be able to, to say to my small group, I even said it, like I'm going through chemo for my kidneys and, you know, and just, I told my husband, I was like, should I tell my, like my motherhood group that I need, maybe I could use a meal while I'm in treatment for my kids. And he's like, I don't know. Sure. And so I just did. And then they did meals for a, a month for me, you know? So it's like things like that, that you're like, people are willing to help just be vulnerable and just say like, Hey, I need right. help. But a lot of people aren't willing to do that. They don't want, I don't know why, but we, I mean, we have to humble ourselves and, you know, and that's what honestly we need to model to our kids and to families who are struggling, you know, I mean, think about, we talk a lot about, you know, preventative 
measures. Obviously, we want to keep less yeah. kids in foster care. We want to help people before the system mm-hmm. has to get involved. If we can help people or model, hey, you know what? If you need help, ask. So we can help you. But you know what the statistics are? The statistics say that like 90% of foster parents don't stay foster parents after right. the first year if they're not supported. It's like, it's staggering. It's craziness. And so, you know, and people, we as a church need to realize Mm -hmm. that, you know, um, and I'm so thankful that I'm, I go to a church that's seeing that and like, we're moving towards that. But, um, you know, like we're not doing anybody a favor because if you can't stay sustained, staying and staying a foster parent, um, and that's not saying that you need to, there's seasons that you don't, you know, you don't need to do it and, you know, mm-hmm. take breaks or whatever, but, um, you know, there's just, there's an element of you have to take responsibility. And I, I'm glad that you said that. I, I just think it's, it, you, you have to humble yourself, mm-hmm. you know, just humble yourself and, you know, let it go of your pride that you can do everything and yeah. ask for help. And it's Okay. It's okay. And start with one person, start with one start close friend. Hey, you know what? Like, I just, I'm really drowning and I don't know what to do. Like, I don't, these are the things that I have. And, um, could you help me start by just asking mm-hmm. for prayer, you know? Um, and so, and go from there because it is life with community is, I, I cannot describe it. I, in the last two months, I have sat in church bawling my eyes out, just thanking God for the community that I have, because I cannot believe the support and the, you know, like, I can't, I don't know, I don't know where I would be, especially like now with chemo and like all these random things that have happened to me. Like, I don't, it's just mind boggling Mm -hmm. to me. Yeah. You know, I have one more question for you. How would you hope the kids who have left your house remember you? Like, what do you hope they remember most? Ooh, <laughs> what I yeah, hope. What do, you, what do you hope? Uh, I hope that they would remember that we love Jesus. That's probably, um, that's one of the things that I, I would say that even with, with Tristan and the kids that could understand right. it, um, that would be that the gospel was, was lived out and that we loved Jesus well, you know? Yeah. So, um, that's, I mean, at the end of the day, that's what it's all about for us. You know, we want, we want them to experience and to know the love of Jesus and with both Tristan and I mean, seven gave his life to Christ when we were, he was with us, he got baptized with us. And so, um, I don't know what God's going to do with that. I don't know if it's going to stick today, tomorrow, or 30 years from now. But boy, do I know that God is a God that pursues and God can use a small seed at a five and a half year old saying John three sixteen, you know, because mm-hmm. he could memorize, he could tell you that verse all day, every day, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, and I don't know what God's going to do with Tiara having been with us for almost a year and a half. Um, I don't know, but she but she got to see the love of Jesus and she was so loved by our church. She, we used to call her the church's baby because <laughs> everybody just like loved her. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so, and we gave her this, we gave her a memory book and I don't know if she's ever going to get it, but we had people that had uh, just experienced life with her. Cause we had a couple of people that um, watched her. And like I said, everybody in the church was really, really involved in her, in her life. And, 
so they all, I mean, Patricia, you wrote her a letter too, but you know, just writing her a letter of just the prayers that the prayers that we have for her and, you know, and yeah. So just trusting that like even the smallest, yeah, God is just a huge God. Like he is so good and so big that we have no idea what the impact that we have on these kids' lives, even if it's for a week or a weekend. I had a baby that was like three pounds old or three pounds mm-hmm. and she was like three days and I had her for the weekend, but we just loved on her, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like that's it. And I have no idea. Maybe that memory will stick with her. I don't know. God's a big God. Um, and mm-hmm. so, yeah. So like that- you said at the beginning or somewhere in the beginning that <laughs> it's ultimately not about us. Right. right. And that's why, like, even why we named the podcast, it's about what these kids are worth. And, uh, you know, right. I, one of my favorite little phrases is like, even every adult was once a kid. And mm-hmm. most adults that are struggling in our world are probably kids who didn't get what they needed then. Yeah. Um, and so it's not about us. And we don't get to know, we don't always get to know what happens with the love that we give. Um, but we can lay our heads down at night and have peace that we mm-hmm. did our best. And so mm-hmm. I really appreciate you being willing to be vulnerable and to, you know, reflect on, I don't want to say mistakes, but ways, yeah. um, what you have learned mm-hmm. um, and how you are using that learning to carry on. Right. And I hope that people, I hope that people listening from many different perspectives can take away like what I'm taking away which is really like living in the now being present in the now and ultimately living with those hands wide open and you know being willing to accept good and being willing to accept tough Mm -hmm. and always being willing to look at ourselves and analyze ourselves and our motivations first is key yeah yeah they're um I think one of the, 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 the lat the later things in life right now, as I'm coming up on, you know, I guess a seasoned foster parent, whatever is realizing that mm-hmm. even after adoption, even after like you get what you quote unquote, like thought you wanted, it, it is a lifetime battle. Like it is something that it never, there's never a, like, I've arrived just like in the Christian life, but especially with, mm-hmm. I think we have this mentality as foster parents, maybe that when, when we adopt, it'll get better <laughs> um, because now we don't have all these different kinds of hard. Let me yeah, tell you. Yeah. And it's, and I, I think one of the things with my daughter, she's been adopted since she was two and a half and she's six now. And, and just, there are so many unknowns. She is, she is a reminder of the, the Jesus follower life for me, because I just never know, right? Like we've never arrived. And so like, I think like you were saying, it's like, you get just constantly have to keep the mentality of like, okay, like what is God teaching me in this moment? What does God want to do in this moment? Um, and through the situation. And I think foster care just shows us that more like, um, in a triage type of way, right? Like it's constantly like crazy. <laughs> um, but like when you adopt, you think that that goes away, but it doesn't, it just manifests in different ways of, 
you know, like mm-hmm. effects of drugs. Um, your kid's never going to be this, that, or the other, or, you know, like there's just so many different things. And, you know, I've just realized that I so, so need to just continuously and daily and <laughs> every single day just surrender any motives, anything that I have to Christ and just that he would filter through what he wants to do with me and through me. Um, mm-hmm. And then the rest is just, he's got it, you know, he, he has it. And so, and like my, I seriously think like my life song these days is <laughs> God is so good. <laughs> that, that song, I like sing it all the time because no matter what, even in the struggles, even in everything, mm-hmm. even in the hardest, hardest pains that I've experienced, which I've experienced some stuff. Um, he's been so faithful and he's been so good. And, and I can always go back to that. He's got the ultimate very best for me. And. Well, as one of your honorary <laughs> kids, let me say that your, your life has been and continues to be a, a testimony of his goodness. And I do hope that many people listen to this and are, touched and inspired and i thank you for doing this and being vulnerable thanks girl thanks for joining us on today's episode of what they're worth if you liked today's episode we'd love to hear from you and get a review on any of our podcast places we'd also love to hear from you on facebook or instagram comments feedback or if you'd like to be a potential guest hope to hear from you soon